The problem that we now know, I think that why I wrote on selfie is that many parents didn't realize that the majority of our children are hardwired to care. But unless we nurture that, it lies dormant. Also finding is a spillover effect that empathy is actually decreasing in American youth and while narcissism is going up. So in all fairness, it means that we just need to be a little bit more intentional about it. And it does not mean that we need, oh gosh, new tutors, fancier programs. It's just looking at simple, proven, evidence-based ways to weave this into our everyday living. Whether it's as parents, whether it's as a business people, whether it's as spouses, whether it's partners, whether it's grandparents. The other thing I think is critical is make sure it's evidence-based. I'm seeing a lot of things out there that look cute, but they're touchy-feely and they don't have the impact on really stretching our children's empathy or nor ours. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves why cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. I'm your host, Maria Ross. I'm a speaker, author, mom, facilitator, and empathy advocate. And here you'll meet trailblazing leaders and executives, authors, and experts who embrace empathy to achieve radical success. We discuss all facets of empathy from trends and research to the future of work, to how to heal societal divisions and collaborate more effectively. Our goal is to redefine success and prove that empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Are children more or less empathetic than they used to be? We adults, parents or not, need to care about the answer since younger generations are our future corporate, government, and civic leaders. How important is empathy to their success? And how can empathy be increased and stretched? A few months ago, I heard this force of a woman named Dr. Michelle Borba on my friend Adam Dorsey's podcast, Super Psyched, and I immediately texted him for an introduction. Michelle is an educational psychologist and former teacher recognized for offering research-driven advice called from a career of working with over one million parents, educators, and children. A frequent Today Show contributor, she's the recipient of the National Educator Award and Character.org's 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award. Michelle is the author of 25 books, including Unselfie, The Big Book of Parenting Solutions, and Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Today, we talk about the value of empathy and why it's crucial we teach character to our children. She shares research that empathy has been on the decline for children since 2000, and what effect the pandemic has on their empathy and resilience. But don't lose hope. We also talk about the amazing ways young people are building empathy and changing the world. Michelle shares the seven most crucial character strengths that boost resilience, peak performance, and well-being, and how they work together for both children and us adults. Finally, she shares practical, evidence-based, simple ways to cultivate children's empathy and resilience. And yes, these can work for you and your team too. Take a listen. Dr. Michelle, welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast. I'm so glad we finally made this interview happen. Oh, me too. I've been looking forward to this for so long. So thank you. So I want to get right to it. Your work is fascinating. Your books are fascinating, working on all aspects of helping children thrive and helping them be emotionally intelligent. So let's talk very specifically about the value of empathy and why character is crucial to teach our children. Because I think 
we think about the ABCs, we think about math and the standardized tests and all the things. And I feel like there is a movement to teach children more emotional and social and character building learning. But what's your perspective? Oh, gosh, let me count the ways and how much time do you have? I think it is probably the most crucial trait, empathy right now than any other trait we have, particularly in an AI world with this accelerated, fast-paced, driven. But now we have something called research to prove it. Harvard Business Review says empathy is the top leading employability factor. We're looking at Fortune 500 companies over and over saying this is absolutely essential. I just got back from Saudi Arabia about four days ago. They were bringing me in with professors from all over the world, realizing that they could not invent something unless they made sure that their students could step into the shoes of the client or the customer. And then let's go one step more. How about our mental health and well-being? Seems to be at a little bit of a, a plummeting level these days. But we do know if we've learned anything from the pandemic and COVID, that relationships and belonging are essential. In fact, it's probably the number one trait that's going to help us raise mentally happy, aware parents, grown-ups, business people, as well as children. We just have to add it intentionally to our parenting and business plans. Well, I love this. And I, I even I even wrote in the book that I hope someday we get to a world where books like The Empathy Edge are not necessary because it's such a part of our DNA and who we are, sort of like breathing, right? So I love the work that you're doing. And I love that you're starting with children because they are going to be our future leaders. They are going to be our future adults, citizens, what have you. And so helping them, you know, for us adults, all hope is not lost, as evidenced by my work. We can strengthen that muscle. But how much better is it if we're able to create and nurture children for whom that muscle is really strong? And what I love about your work is it's it's identifying, and, and I too was thrilled to find all the research and the data around this about why it's important. But just building that muscle. So as, as I spoke to one person that I interviewed for my book, it's just part of these kids' identities to be empathetic. Yeah, as long as we stretch it and strengthen it. Because yes. The problem that we now know, I think that why I wrote on selfie is that many parents didn't realize that the majority of our children are hardwired to care. But unless we nurture that, it lies dormant. Also finding is a spillover effect that empathy is actually decreasing in American youth and nar while narcissism is going up. So in all fairness, it means that we just need to be a little bit more intentional about it. And it does not mean that we need Oh, gosh, new tutors, fancier programs. It's just looking at simple, proven, evidence-based ways to weave this into our everyday living, whether it's as parents, whether it's as a business people, whether it's as spouses, whether it's partners, whether it's grandparents. The other thing I think is critical is make sure it's evidence-based. I'm seeing a lot of things out there that look cute, but they're touchy-feely and they don't have the impact on really stretching our children's empathy or nor ours. Yeah, and I love that. And we're going to we're going to talk about those simple ways as well in this in this interview. I often talk about it as as going to the gym and getting in shape. Once you have the six-pack abs, you can't stop going to the gym. You can't stop working out. You can't stop taking care of your body. And it's the same thing with empathy. That muscle can atrophy if it's not nurtured and stretched like you said. So, um I want to talk about something you just said because I I've seen conflicting research on both sides, and I would love your perspective, 
Because some research says, you know, Gen Z is the most empathetic generation that we've had. And they're they're much more appreciative of diversity and different points of view and all that. And then there are other studies that show that empathy is waning in younger generations. So can you talk a little bit about that research that talks about empathy being on the decline? Yes. And it doesn't mean that Generation Z is not a wonderful, caring generation. It just means the culture we're raising them in is taking down their empathy and their concern themselves. The work came from Sarah Conrath and Jean Twang, and I love them both. Actually, what they did is they started this quite a number of years ago, like 30 years ago, when they started doing narcissism personality tests, very simple little like 10 questions to incoming college freshmen across the United States from every demographic and every zip code. We're talking thousands of kids. And they began to see a trend that really started to hit around the year 2000, where empathy started to go down 40% in 30 years, and narcissism, I'm better than you, went up 58%. And they're realizing that it wasn't their DNA that was making the difference. It was very often the culture we were raising our kids so that they started to look at, so what the heck happened around the year 2000? And they began to see a seismic shift in culture. It was really the year where our kids started to looking down at screens as opposed to up at each other, and you don't learn empathy from an emoji. We started to look at um, just the culture of character beginning to be dormant. We're looking at David Brooks studies that showed that even character in literature Terms like caring and kind and responsible was going down in our children's books and the novels we read while narcissism was going up. It isn't one thing. It's a multitude of factors that's creating this. Why is it? And now all of a sudden it's a red flag for us to go. If it's going down, then we also can take it up. So what do we do? I love that. I, and I love that perspective of, of and this idea that looking at not just talking to people and asking them, do you feel less or more empathetic than other people, but looking at all these social and media factors as well and seeing, you know, tracing back what was going on at that time so that yeah. we can understand how we got into this for exactly the reason you just said, so we can get out of it. Well, the thing that we also have to keep in mind is that the culture is not going to change and go back. You know, Mayberry RFD is gone. So now we need to look at if the culture is definitely switching, so too our parenting and our relationship skills need to switch with it because we are clearly in an accelerated, fast-paced, digital-driven world, and it's here to stay. Therefore, what do we want? We want the human side of us all to remain, and that means we need to do a little bit more work. Um, when I wrote the Unselfie, I didn't realize the impact of all of this until I started digging and digging deeper and deeper, and I began to realize this is extremely doable, that all we need to do is weave it in and make sure we're looking at evidence-based, proven, simple strategies. In all fairness to a parent, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to do one more thing. And I realize that we're all stressed to the max. But what I also will tell you, I don't care if you're in a business or you're in a home or you're in a corporate world, these are very simple things and behavior is always changeable. The key is be really intentional about what's the one little thing you want to switch. And then every day work on that one little thing, even if it's one, two, or three minutes. Make it simple. Think big, start small, get your foot in the door. But keep doing the same thing over and over again. You create a new habit, then you can add the next and the next. I love that. So in Thrivers, you talk about the seven most crucial character strengths that boost resilience, peak performance, and well-being, and how they were selected. 
that applies to children. That applies to adults. Uh, we want folks to check out your book, Thrivers. But can you give us a little taste? Can you give us an amuse-bouche on one or two of them and sure. why they're so important? Well, the first thing is when I began to see, uh, I wrote Thrivers. It came out actually the month COVID hit. And I had been interviewing hundreds of kids. And I began to see a trend that the CDC said that one in five American kids was going to suffer from some kind of a mental health disorder. We're now looking at one in three. A crisis only amplified a pre-existing issue. So don't go blaming COVID for it all. It was already there. My next thing is to look at what I don't think is in enough of our parenting or our business books of what really does boost resilience. And there's phenomenally fascinating research that looking at from Emmy Warner to just so you know, there's real life names of these researchers for their entire life. Um, Norm Germizi, Michael Rudder. Um, Ann Madsen, who have been looking at cohorts of children, despite homelessness or poverty or sexual abuse, some do endure, some do bounce back. And they're looking at the same kids, Emmy Warner, for 40 years. And she's looking at them as they grow up and go, my gosh, some of them did make it. Now the key question is the why. And what I did simply is keep looking at the what do all of these studies have in common? And that's what I chose seven strengths. They had to all be teachable. They were not locked into DNA. And it was never too late. I don't care if you're 45 or you're three, you can still teach these things to kids. It starts with confidence of knowing who you really are and what your strengths are. But the second one, in no order, by the way, was empathy. It kept coming up that resilient people are socially competent. It does not mean that we have 50,000 friends, but we have the ability to connect with others. And we now know that not only, here's the other thing, does that help us just boost our well-being? But it also, to a teacher listening, helps the kid become more engaged and a deeper learner in the classroom. Number three, for a business person, that's the exact kind of person you want to employ because that's the person who is going to be able to step into your client's shoes, your customer's shoes, and create this culture that's more conducive to the workplace. And um, finally, you're worried about mental health. Uh, even the Surgeon General right now will tell you it is probably the most highly correlated trait of what's going to help us all get along, be happier, and uh, live a longer life. It's Empathy 101. Do you see uh, where I lose heart is seeing what's going on with adults that are modeling behavior yeah. for yeah. children right now and what's going on in our media landscape and our political yes. landscape. Yes. Do you have hope do you feel like this is a oh, I, uh, Yes, yes, yes. And the only reason I have hope is that I don't listen to the adults attack to the kids. At every single time, I mean, even yesterday, <laughs> I was talking to two teens and I went, oh my God, clone yourself. You're going to save the world. Yeah, they were. They were yeah. Philadelphia. They were concerned about violence and shootings. One of their sisters had been stabbed at a school. And what they are doing as a project at their school is studying how to rectify it. And they said, we've listened to every one of your tapes. We've listened to, read all of your books. And now we want to figure out how do we help our generation? I said, you've already helped me because there is hope. They actually came up with solutions and ideas. Every single week I talk to teens. They're there. They also tell me, you know, we are the most stressed out generation. And I want to mention this because stress has a lot to do with empathy. If stress continues to build and you don't have healthy ways to tune it down, what happens? You dial your empathy down to be in survival mode to help your stress. And then after a while, what happens is the stress keeps building until burnout is the outcome because you've left empathy dormant. 
So notice that's what the other thing that's happening across the board. The Mm -hmm. final thing is we know something else about empathy and stress. And that is the news that we watch can really impact our view of the world and our optimism and hope for the world. Our empathy goes dormant when all you see is the bad stuff. But I always say, number one, I finally did something profound and subscribed to a newspaper because all of the research was telling me if I watch the videos and the late breaking news, there's a reason why the reporters will say, we warn you that the next no, it's highly graphic. And they are. Yeah. What they actually do is take your empathy and your optimism down. Yeah. A newspaper, read it because and read it with your kids. Expose them to the world. But it's less graphic and less damaging to your empathy. The next thing is, I always tell, I don't care if you're, again, 93 or you're dealing with a five-year-old. Cut out the good stuff that's happening in the world. It's on the back pages of the newspaper, and it's called Good News. I talked to two teens. They are so tired of the dismal news. They convinced their superintendent, this is in Long Island, to put a plasma TV as you walk in the front door. I said, what the heck are you watching on TV? He says, don't worry about Dr. Barbara. We're watching good stuff. She's putting good news videos. So every day when we walk in, we just walk in, we look up, we put our arms around each other, thumbs up, keep on going, because it's news about crises. I don't care what the crisis is, but there's always in a crisis the good stuff of people, and we never see the good. We only see the dismal. That's one thing we got to do for our empathy, and it's real simple. Watch what you view. Be selective. Middle school kids say that that late-breaking news is the scariest thing that's happening to them if there's not an adult there to watch it. But it's also the scariest thing that's happening to the grown-ups, too. Oh, completely. And I did a I did an interview with Gina Bellaria that I'll link to in the show notes where we talked about the state of journalism and the role of empathy in journalism. And that was another big part of the finding. Obviously, bad news and fear drives ratings. And so that's why you oh. see so much of this. It drives eyeballs. It drives clicks. And so it's a game for yeah. these companies. But if you, are, if you are more intentional and thoughtful about where what you consume and the sources from where you consume it, yes. you actually can strengthen those ties, strengthen those that, that feeling of community with other people and not feel so like, well, it's every man for themselves or every person for themselves. Look at the thriver traits. There's seven of them. We talked about confidence. We talked about empathy. Number seven is optimism and hope. Empathy and optimism today together are real change makers. But if you're only seeing the doom and gloom, it's going to take your empathy down. So that's why if you pair any of these character strains together, you it creates what I call a multiplier effect. I always thought one trait alone was going to do it. When I realized empathy by itself doesn't help. But number three of the seven traits is self-control. If I can find ways to reduce my stress, it's going to keep my empathy open. That's going to help me be healthier as well as relate better to others. It's always two together. Curiosity is number five. If you've got empathy and curiosity, you are a change maker because it's going to keep you open to ideas and possibilities. I always tell kids, you don't have to agree with what the person is saying, but try to hear where they're coming from. Right. Try to understand their context. Yeah. I will step into their shoes and be a little bit more aware of where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And empathy by itself for a parent who goes or a business person, I can't possibly agree with where he's coming from. Right. Right. But you can do a deep canvassing, which means try to find one thing that's common. If you are a struggling student, you want somebody to empathize with you. 
But the kid who's a straight A student is not going to empathize with a struggling kid. So you did you flip it a little more and you go, okay, well, let's stretch that. Think of one moment that you did struggle. Maybe it's when you took the dance class or maybe you weren't so good at art. There's where you struggled. And that's the same struggle that that kid's facing, but he's facing because of his math class. Now, all of a sudden, it opens it up. And then you can do the same thing as a business person or as a parent. You may not be able to step into the shoes right away with that, with your child or your spouse or your, you know, your business associate. Mm -hmm. Dig a little deeper. Do a little more deep canvassing. Try to come with one commonality and it'll start you being able to come to grips with, I guess we're a little more together and with it. Absolutely. It's stating those those obvious common shared goals. I often talk in my workshops when I'm saying you're having a contentious conversation with someone or you have to work on a project with someone who you don't agree with. First of all, the goal of the conversation doesn't always have to be conversion to my point of view. It can be just understanding what the other person's context is and say, I still don't agree with you, but I do understand now where you're coming from. And then you can find common ground and stating that common ground out loud, even if it's completely obvious. We're both here because we don't want to get fired tomorrow, right? right? Like, can we agree that we're both on the same team when it comes to that? And so it's those little moments of finding that commonality that just, I feel like, change the tenor of the conversation and the exchange so that you can start to put your defenses down and not say, I have to be right and here's why you're wrong and you know, pushing against each other all the time. So I think that's a, you know, I spend a lot of my time busting myths within the workplace that empathy is not agreeing with people. It's not caving into crazy demands. And it's not even just being nice. That's not the same thing as empathy. So um, I love what you're saying about this idea and applying this to children. And I do want to give another shout out to a past episode I did that I will also link in the show notes with Eric Dawson, the founder of Peace First, which is a global nonprofit devoted to empowering youth change makers to come up with their own solutions and build their own projects in their community. And he often talks about the fact that, you know, when you're looking for solutions to problems in the community, ask the young people. They have the ideas because they're oh, and listen, I love it with Darson's work. I, I've worked with him in the past. And when we look at uh, thrivers and we look at a kid who has resilience, the commonality to me when you say what the thriver is a kid who has agency. He does it on his own. It's not a kid who's waiting for mom to rescue me or dad to do it for me. And one of the best ways you can develop agency is be the change maker. Find the project that drives you. Just like I was talking to the two kids last night, they were passionate about figuring out how to solve a violence in schools because it had driven them. Their own sister was attacked. So there's where your purpose and your passion is. Your purpose is what also drives your confidence level. That's number one. See, all those traits start to work together. They really do have a spillover effect. And in the end, what you have is a child who thinks we, not me, because mm-hmm. it's out there to say, I can make a difference of the world. And there's no better stress reducer than you go, I got this. I can do it. Right. You slowly begin to see I can make a change. Right. I can be in control of this situation. Yeah. 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 So that leads me in. This is a great segue into the last question. And one I personally am interested in as the mom to a nine-year-old boy (laughs) who I keep trying to get to see other perspectives and get involved and find projects, things like that. What are some, as you said, practical, evidence-based, simple ways to cultivate children's empathy and resilience? But we know we're also talking about adults as well. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> let's look at let's look at what are a few of those? Yeah. Well, number one is what's the gateway to empathy? And it's emotional literacy. You can't feel with somebody else unless you go, he looks sad and she sounds frustrated and he looks upset. So the first natural thing to do, not at six o'clock, right to do emotional literacy, but weaving it in is to naturally talk feelings far more with your kids. As you watch Inside Out, as you read a book, how would you feel if that happened to you? Start with the how would you feel? What does he, what would you need? What does he do? And then you can switch that up a notch. I love Martin Hoffman's work because he said, once you ask the how would you feel and what would you need, you take it up a notch. And that is, what does he need? How does he feel? What can you do? And you're now on a different level. Inductive discipline seems to be highly correlated to raising children who are more empathetic and also better behaved. Every time your child crosses over the line is your wonderful moment. I don't care if your child is a toddler routine to say an inductive discipline is I'm really upset with that particular behavior, behavior, not the child, because in this house, this is what we expect. Remember our rules? How would that other kid feel that you did that? So what are you going to do differently next time? Timeout doesn't work because you're not talking about what are you going to do differently next time. But if you draw the empathy towards your discipline, Martin Hoffman says from 40 years of research, you actually have a child beginning to think a little stronger and get into the shoes of the other. Here's another one. This is York University. Read, read, and don't stop reading to your children or get yourself into a literary book club. Or just read good literary fiction. And I'm not talking Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm right. talking about all the light you cannot see, our bel canto. They have found that when you adults get into the shoes of someone else, what begins to happen is your own empathy levels go up. But you can do the same thing. Ask yourself, as a, if you're a parent, why do you think that children love the book Wonder and Harry Potter better than any other books out there? Because they're very empathy-driven. And it's helping a child step outside his shoes into the shoes of others. Here's another tip. There's so many tips. Don't try them all or your kid will never let you listen to another podcast. But go one step at a time. But you're more likely to empathize with those like you. My race, my gender, my age, my culture. What we've got to do if we want we kind of thinkers is help stretch our kids to, if you're reading books and you've got a son, then make sure that those books also have a different gender. If you have a you are Catholic, then make sure you're exposing your kids to to Jews or Muslims. Step outside. Different food groups, different museums are wonderful because they're emotive. You can go to so many wonderful museums and you can actually step into the shoes of someone. My my favorite museum that every year I'm in Washington, DC, I go to the Holocaust Museum. And I do it because there's one one room that's called Daniel's Room. I go to that room each time. I already know what's going to be in it. I go there to follow kids who haven't been through the museum and watch them physically change. And what they've created is for children walking through that museum, they don't understand what it was like to be Jewish and live during the Holocaust. And so the whole museum is set up looking like it's Daniel. He's about your age. And here's this room. And here's his toys. And here's his classmates. The first thing is it's quiet and you begin to go, oh, he's just like me. He reads the same stuff. He's got the same bed. He's got the same thing. And now all of a sudden you keep on walking and now there's signs that say no Jews allowed. And you begin to go, Daniel's not being treated fairly until you go to the next room and there's, oh, Daniel's told to pack up. 
until at the very end, it's quite a distance. The, the whole museum gets colder. The, the lighting gets down. And now you're at the Holocaust. And every single time I hear kids in front of me start to shudder. Oh, my gosh, Daniel didn't go there, did he? They start to hold on to each other. There's Kleenex and the kids start to cry. And the last room is pencil and paper, write a note to Daniel. And every single time kids go, Daniel, this should never have happened. Not on my watch. It won't happen again, Daniel. I'm there for you. And what happens is kids begin to step into something outside themselves. They begin to see a different view and they want to make a change. That's what we need to do. I'm not saying you have to go to a museum. Right. But I'm saying we need right. to expose our kids to differences and we need to expose ourselves to differences. Right. We also finally need to be aware of the people we're around and examples, because one of the best ways to cultivate empathy. I've learned this from looking at phenomenal research from Samuel Oliner. He looked at people who were altruists and he found three things. What creates a real altruist? How about Christians who rescued Jews during the Holocaust. Three things they all said. I was raised to either have empathy or social responsibility. But in my home, there was always examples of it. I watched my mom or dad and they showed and demonstrated kindness. Are your children seeing that in you or in others? It was expected in my home that you were expected to be kind. Is that your expectation or is that expectation in your business? And third is there was experiences. I didn't start by trying to save a life. My parents said, let's bake some cookies for the neighbor next door, or let's give a coat to the man who's homeless down the end of the street. And it was always the look in the person's eyes of gratitude that I said I had to do it again and again. And what you do is you create a little change maker, and it's not too late for any of us. Simple little things we can do to make a difference in the world. I love it. Thank you so much, Michelle, for your insights today. And for spending some time with us talking about these valuable lessons of how to teach children empathy. But as I said, we also can learn from this ourselves. And it's never too late to strengthen that empathy muscle, even if it's atrophied a bit, depending on your upbringing or your job environment or wherever you've been. So thank you so much. I hope everyone will check out the books, Thrivers and Unselfie. I'll have links in the show notes. I'll have all your contact links in the show notes as well. But for anyone listening to us on the go, where's the best place they can find out more about you and your work? Oh, well, thank you for that. My web, I'm Michelle Borba. I'm a 1L Michelle and my last name Borba rhymes with <laughs> Borba. So just go to michelleborba.com and you'll find dozens of links, videos and handouts that you can awesome. use. Awesome. And we will have a link to that too, 1L Michelle. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Empathy Edge podcast. If you like what you heard, you know what to do. Please rate and review and share it with a friend or a colleague. And until next time, remember that cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. Take care and be kind. For more on how to achieve radical success through empathy, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There you can listen to past episodes, access show notes and free resources, book me for a keynote or workshop, and sign up for our email list to get new episodes, insights, news, and events. Please follow me on Instagram at Red Slice Maria. Never forget, empathy is your superpower. Use it to make your work and the world a better place. Thank you.